Dotnet Rocks episode 690 with guest J.D. Meyer. Recorded live Monday, August 8th, 2011. This episode is brought to you by Telerik and by Franklin's.net, training developers to work smarter. And now offering video training on Silverlight 4 with Billy Hollis and SharePoint 2010 with Sahil Malik. Order online now at franklins.net. And now here are Carl and Richard. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks, your number one source for .NET coolness. Nice. Yeah, notice I didn't say information. <laughs> <laughs> are you hinting at the geeky shows we're working on? I, I'm loving the geeky shows we're working on. Yeah, it's about time. We've had you know a lot of requests for us to branch off and just talk about other things. Uh, let's get right into Better Know Framework. Excellent. Better Know Framework, of course, started out as a just a, a way that I could talk about different classes and namespaces in the .NET Framework because they're so vast. And it's really just turned out to be a, a way that I can show off uh, or, or talk about anything that you need <laughs> to know about. And it's it just micro learning. Here you go. So this might be a duh thing, but, uh, you know, I've been talking about HTML5 tags. Yes. So I just got to, you got to call out the canvas because that's sort of the center of the universe for most people who do graphics in uh, HTML5. Uh, a canvas is just essentially a square or an area that you can paint on. And you have to paint. You can paint with JavaScript, of course. Um, and... Uh, you know, that's basically it. You have a canvas tag, you have a width, and you have a height, and then you do stuff to it, and it's supported in all the major browsers. And I, when, I, I have to think this is one of the most important new concepts in HTML5, this idea of canvas. Yeah, because, you know, it's uh, typically we're used to flow-based sort of uh, layout on a, in a web page. You know, things push things out of the way, and uh, this is a little bit more exact you know, if you think about it that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there you go. Canvas. Know it, learn it, love it. It's a good you thing. You probably already do, but just in case you've been hiding under a rock for the last couple of years, there it is. Just trying to encourage you to do a little more HTML5. That's right. Look it up. So who's talking to us today, Richard? I grabbed a comment off of show 686, and that was the one about uh, N2CMS. Oh, yeah. Christian Libardo? Yep. And the comment is from a previous guest, Howard Van Ruijen. And remember, we did a show with uh, him on the Sharply architecture. Oh, yeah. And so Howard was talking about the Fancy Dress site, which we uh, was part of the, our conversation. Fancy Dress Fitters right. uses N2CMS. Yeah. And he points out that that site uses not only N2CMS, but also Sharp Architecture and Solar. Mm. And there's a lot more information on it if you go to the N2CMS Codeplex page. And then Howard goes on to say, one thing I don't think it came across strongly enough in the interview is that the main benefit of N2 is that you can write a fully functional business application, like an e-commerce platform, using all the engineering best practices and inject content management functionality into it via N2, rather than most other CM systems, which require you to write business applications inside the content management framework, ah. which generally prevents you from using engineering best practices. And he goes on, and I highly recommend you go read his comment, because he gives a couple of great links to 
folks, not his blog sites, but other people's blog sites. And so one of the blogs he linked to is a fellow by the name of James Broom, and he was talking about why I like N2CMS. And I'll just give you the highlights. The first one was it doesn't take over the solution. Mm, It was the idea that I have an app, I want to inject CMS into it, and I can do that. And so, you know, one of the quotes here is, you could use N2 to to manage your CMS requirements, even if only 1% of your solution needed CMS functionality. Mm. It doesn't impose a particular style of development. It works properly with ASP.NET MVC, and it has a great API. That's good to know. So great information. And uh, Howard, I guess I'm sending you a mug, my friend. Thank you so much for adding to the conversation about N2CMS. I thought it was really, really interesting stuff. And if you've got questions, concerns, ideas for shows, just want to fill in some other ideas around a show you listen to, write a comment on the show at DonnetRocks.com. And uh, we love giving away mugs, don't we, Richard? We certainly do. And we give one at least one away every show. Every show. Well, it's going to be a good show today because our guest is none other than J.D. Meyer. J.D. recently joined the Microsoft Enterprise Strategy Team. Before that, he was Principal Program Manager on the Microsoft Patterns and Practices Team for more than 10 years, leading distributed teams around the world, building software and prescriptive guidance. And during that time, he shipped several blue books, including Improving Web Application Security, Improving .NET Application Performance and Scalability, and the Microsoft Architecture Guide. The blue books are prescriptive guidance to help customers succeed on the Microsoft platform. His first non-technical book is Getting Results the Agile Way, which is a personal results system that helps you make the most of what you've got. Welcome, J.D., and I'm looking forward to talking about this. Hey, guys. Getting results the agile way. So this isn't this goes beyond software, does it not? Yeah, in fact, I actually tried to make it so that it would be relevant to just about anybody in life. The point behind it was what I found is that it's very difficult to learn some of those cross-cutting skills, whether it's project management, whether it's time management, whether it's motivation. And what I wanted was a system that I could use, that I could give to my mom, my sister, their friends, their family, but anybody who wants to make the most of what they've got. That said, I mean, it's definitely inspired for the fact that I've been working in software for many years, a lot of the agile approaches. So you actually can, if you're in the software world, you can think of this as agile for life or scrum for life, but the agile play there is really about responding to change. So it's not agile per se, it's about responding to change. So it's about being responsive, but also being ready to accept change? Absolutely. So the basically what you can do is you can think of this, think about the things that you want to make happen in terms of stories, very simple stories. So for example, each day you probably have three wins that you want to achieve, or each week you may have three wins that you want to achieve. And by having these stories in mind, you're basically charting out what's important you're setting your focus, and you're actually creating your test for success. What you can also do then is if something more important comes along, you can be very deliberate and very mindful about trading up. About trading up. Yeah, so it's one thing to be doing a bunch of tasks, but this isn't a task management system. This is about results. And one of the hardest shifts that I find people have making is going from getting tasks done to actually making results or making impact, actually meaningful results. I think of it as meaningful results. 
Um, and the trick here is that as soon as you take the balcony view across everything that you think you need to go and get done, and you start to ask the question, what do I want to accomplish? You immediately create a focal point. So for example, it's one thing to go and call a customer back. It's another thing to win a raving fan. It's one thing to go and drive your project. It's another thing to lead an epic adventure. So if you can connect the things that you do to your values, you light yourself on fire, but it's also contagious. Um, that example that I just gave, leading an epic adventure, the way that I think about the projects isn't just going and driving the deliverables and having a vision and setting scope and managing budget. It's how's the world going to be different? And the fact that I connect it to an epic adventure, one of my values is adventure. I love adventure. Got a Jeep, got a motorcycle, etc. Love road trips. But the fact that I can connect the project to an adventure, it brings the team alive. A lot of the folks on the team actually value adventure too. So it brings the team alive. You know, it seems to me that the probably the biggest challenge you may have and it may have faced and I certainly have in dealing with people is just people who are just fundamentally resistant to change. I mean, they're humans. We're comfortable with what we have and with the status quo. And it seems to me the whole thing about Agile is be is embracing change. And you can have a system all you want for your mom or for whoever. But if they don't want to change and they don't want to embrace the system, you're you're stuck. Yeah, you're right. I mean, at the end of the day, motivation is a big key. Any any time you want to make something happen or you want to change, it involves motivation. It involves ability. It involves effective feedback. And the secret that I found really is, it's not using the old carrots and sticks way of pain and pleasure. It's really about inspiring people to action. One of my favorite words now is actually inspiration. I didn't used to like that word, but once I found that a root of inspire is to breathe life into, it took on new meaning for me. And so what I try to do is I try to connect the changes back to people's values and have it put it in a way that the story makes sense to them. They have to own the stories. And when they feel that they're a part of the change and driving the change, it's more meaningful. And I'm not a fan of change for change's sake, but I do accept the fact that a lot of, you know, the world is always evolving. There's always changes all around us. And what I try to do is give people the skills to basically navigate and make the most of change. Another reason why people are usually apprehensive of change is because they don't have some of the basic skills for it and they're on the receiving end. Yeah. And as soon as you can start to make meaning out of it and it can be meaningful for you, that's why a big theme of getting results the agile way is it's really about writing your story forward. You know, it's meant to be empowering. It's about you writing your story forward by you identifying the wins that you want, you identifying the wins that make the most sense for you, and connecting that back to the reality of, well, what do you actually need to achieve or get done, but then also what do you actually want to achieve? What lights you up? What lights your fire? So do you find that you get better results inspiring people than you do uh, providing incentives for them? I do, and here's why. Um, I mean, it actually helps know a little bit of the psychology here, but a lot of people depend on external motivation. Um, I will do this if you pay me that. The problem is, is that not only takes your power away, but we've learned over time in the psychology space that when you can drive, when you can connect something to your intrinsic values, 
it's longer lasting, it's more enduring. So you'll notice that some people that are highly effective and always seem to be able to do the tough stuff and keep going and have this amazing discipline, what that usually is coming from is they've connected things back to their internal drive. They've done that for a job well done. Yeah. They've done that to focus on the learning, but they've connected it back to something internal. Nobody can take the internal parts away from you. That's what makes it so empowering. If somebody dangles the carrot out in front of you and keeps jerking it away, that doesn't last very long. Mm. And what I find is people fall into a mode of learned helplessness where, they'll ab- where they're able to do something, but over time they've learned that they can't do it, and as a result they kind of shut down. But when people can connect back to what drives them internally, when they can spend more time in their strengths, less time in their weaknesses, when they can make meaning out of something, instead of just getting something done, it's making it meaningful and connecting it back in a way that counts. When people can make that connection and and it's coming from something internal, then you've got people that are on fire. Then it's just about setting the goals and getting out of the way. And that's the scenario that you want, whether it's for yourself or for a team, et cetera. I totally agree. And I I don't think that there's any system that can provide intrinsic motivation by default, I think. And and that's where the inspiration comes in. You, You inspire people to find it within themselves what what it is that makes them tick and what turns them on. Yeah, exactly. You you just hit a very sage piece of advice, which is you don't let other people push your buttons, but you need to be able to push your own buttons. And the trick there, one of the issues is a lot of folks don't know how to find the strength inside themselves, whether it's a lack of self-awareness or not even having a model or a method to do this. A um, couple of the places to start and to be effective immediately are you know, I like, to, I like that we've learned a lot of things about business that actually help in life. Having a simple vision, mission, values, if you have those basics down, that's one way to keep yourself going. If you know what your key strengths are, and there's lots of ways of finding your strengths, but to give you an example, um, one of my strengths is information management. I could take a lot of complex information and simplify it. I didn't originally know that that was a strength. So the irony was that I actually devalued that. I thought that, well, that's easy for me, so it can't be a strength. I didn't actually realize how much that would be respected. It wasn't until a friend of mine pointed it out. He said, you know, that stuff you do with information, (laughs) it's not so easy to do for everybody else. And he said, in fact, that's actually a skill that could be helpful, whether you're, you're doing architecture or whether you're, you know, being in, uh, whether you're doing analysis. But he said, you gotta play to that more. As soon as he said that, you know, I was still a little bit doubtful because it's like, well, it's just too easy for me. It can't be a strength. Well, that was the beauty. (laughs) It is actually a strength. Right. And when I went back to work, what I started to focus on was playing more to my strength. I found that I got energy from it. I found that I got better at it faster. In fact, that was the year that I filed eight patents and actually helped shape more of our product line. So it was, it was like suddenly being unleashed. Well, you know, we know all about that. This portion of .NET Rocks is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework 
to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting .NET Rocks. I don't mean to go so non-technical that it's crazy here, but uh, Joseph Campbell inspired me um, to follow my bliss. That was his mantra, you know, follow your bliss, do what you love, find your strengths, and and also a line from a Talking Heads song, which is, uh, I have adopted this and made it my own, cut back the weakness, reinforce what is strong. We certainly devalue the things that come easily to us. Developers have this disease, I think, worse than just about anybody. Because as soon as you understand something, we start calling it simple. Right. <laughs> That's right. You know, you may have spent yep. a year trying to figure out how to do it. But now that you know, when somebody asks you, well, how do you do that? You're you like, go, oh, it's simple. <sighs> ah, that's old stuff. <laughs> it's terrifying. Give me the new challenge. Come on. What are you talking about? Right. In fact, uh, related to that point, it's... um. I didn't even have a good vocabulary for thinking about strength. And we don't have a, when we don't have a vocabulary for it, it can actually be difficult to think about it in an effective way. And I remember that the distinction that stuck, that really stuck out for me was this. It was that a strength wasn't necessarily something that you're good at now, because that's, chances are that's a skill that you've built up over time. A strength is truly your natural thinking feeling and doing patterns. Right. And that's what you naturally think, feel, and do. So to spin it another way is that when you're really being the most effective for you, it's when you're giving your best where you've got your best to give. You know, that's the one line I like to remember. It's that, you know, okay, am I spending more time giving my best where I've got my best to give? And that's where you're truly leveraging the uniqueness of you, you know, your key strengths, your values, your unique experience, your skills, and delivering value to yourself, to the world, etc. So you you say that this book is a general book for anyone, but uh, a lot of the examples that you're saying, you know, whether you're doing analysis or whether you're doing, you know, IT work, does it tend to, you know, talk to the IT person, or or, or is this this agile way adaptable for just about every walk of life? Yeah, so that's a beautiful question. I mean, I, I very deliberately had a team of people that were outside the software space to make sure that I didn't fall into the trap. It's, so if you're in this, if you're a software person, then it's almost like an inside joke and you'll definitely get a lot more out of it or be able to appreciate some of the things or start from a different ground. But to give an example outside of software, I know, uh, one of the local restaurants around here, that is doing a bunch of renovations because they read the book, they got the system down, and they started driving their business using the system. I know that my uh, sister was all excited. She had called me that after my mom had went through the book, she was doing a whole bunch of projects around the house. I know some teachers that are sharing it with teacher friends trying to do some um, basically try to make changes in some of the education system to really focus on the idea of spending more time in strengths, being able to focus more effectively, being able to use the time management skills, the motivation skills, and teaching people how to feel like they can win, but more importantly, creating continuous learning loops. So while you're in software, you get the inside jokes, 
but it's absolutely meant to be beyond software. I didn't want to limit it to the software space. This is, this is one of those kinds of books. It's, I wrote it to be the playbook that I wish that somebody had given me years ago when I started, you know, it's, it's meant to bring out the best in not just time, but your energy and your actions to really amplify things. If somebody would give me this a long time ago, I could have saved a lot of dead ends, a lot of wasted energy. I could have learned a lot more about balance. And I think everybody needs this system. Clearly, though, you had to be in the right place personally in order to be that. And, and that gets back to my original point, which is, you know, if you're if you're just sitting there spinning your wheels and playing the records over in your brain and you know, and, and constantly focusing on the things that don't go don't go the way you want them. Uh, you, you, you know, it doesn't matter what system comes or what book you read or whatever. You just it's just not going to work for you. Absolutely. In fact, um, I mean that's one way that I look back because I keep wishing that I had put this together so long ago, and then I keep realizing no, I actually had a lot of lessons to learn. So, for example, uh, one of my first lessons was back in developer support. I had to learn how to make the most out of a day. I had to be able to chunk up my time and be accountable for my time, and I had to think in small units. That was a complete shift when I moved over to patterns and practices, and suddenly I was dealing with these longer-term projects. I wasn't used to thinking you know, beyond a week. <laughs> if, if I was lucky to think about a week, I was usually thinking about a day. And I wasn't used to scoping things by time. My scope was usually driven by... I want to change the world, I make amazing impact, and it's done when it's done. Yeah. I couldn't imagine trying to predict when something would be done. Right. And what I had to learn was a couple things. I had to learn that you know, it's, it's actually healthy and helpful to have boundaries. It's actually yeah. healthy and helpful to be able to chunk things up. And my, my worst but probably most important lesson, I guess this is kind of a surprise, but my, my most important lesson actually came from working on performance modeling. Yeah, I never expected that to apply to life, but when I was working on performance modeling, I realized that you really have to have a frame and you have to set limits and you have to set maximums. So the secret that I learned for work-life balance was actually about having a frame for life. It, it, um, I don't know if you guys are gamers, but I wasn't much of a gamer. I ended up playing uh, The Sims, and within half an hour... Uh, my wife was having an affair. The house burnt down. The kids were off to boarding school. I was like, what the hell kind of a game is this? <laughs> I was like, okay, that didn't help. But uh, actually, actually, it did because what I noticed was that a very smart thing that the game had was how much are you investing in these areas? Yeah. And then that's how I stepped back and said, hang on now. You know, I, the, what is my portfolio of life? What are my hotspots? What am I investing in? And that's how I came up with mind, body, emotions, career financial relationships and fun. And what I found was that if I was out of balance, um, very, it could be very difficult to prioritize and really set these limits. So I started to use time as a limit. And so for example, I said, well, you know, I just keep throwing hours at things. What if I decided that in my career bucket, I set a maximum of 40 or 50 hours. In fact, my manager actually enforced that. (laughs) And what it, just by doing that, what that forced me to do was like, well, if I can't keep throwing time and life force at things, what are the most important and meaningful things to actually work on? Right. It what is my actual time budget? What actually counts? And the beautiful thing that happened from there was I started to pay attention to what's going on in the business, what's going on in my life, what is the stuff that truly counts? And just by doing that, I could start to pick off 
the more important wins. My portfolio got better. And by having these limits and these boundaries, um, in some cases I had to set a maximum. So in career I had to set a maximum. In other areas I had to set a minimum. I decided that one of my wins for the year would be get back to my fighting weight. So what I did, I was a kickboxer. Mm. So I was like, how, how do I actually do that? And what I decided was, well, as a minimum, I will have, you know, 30 minutes in the morning will be my workout time. And a whole trigger effect happened from there. Because then what I did was I, I came up with a morning bootstrap routine. It's like, well, how do I actually bake this in in a way that I might like it? So what I did was I decided that my startup routine would be this. Wake up, throw on my shoes, because if I had to think about it, it wasn't going to happen, but throw on my shoes and do my run. Then from there, eat breakfast slowly, take the back way to work, and on the back way to work, I did think about my three wins for the day. That became my startup routine. It basically put me in a position where I had a good view, a good feeling, and a good sense of what my wins would be for the day. By the time I got to, got to work, instead of reacting to everything, I could respond because I had this balcony view, whether it was my manager coming by, whether it was a flood of emails, whether it was a, a flood of firefighting. I could now respond because I had this in my mind. I knew what was most important, and then I could be very deliberate about what I was trading off or trading up for, or yeah. pushing back on, as opposed to just letting everything land on my lap. That was a big deal. This is great stuff. And I, I really want to address the person who's listening right now saying, oh my God, that sounds like turning yourself into a robot. <laughs> you know how? Oh, I, yeah, okay, that's, so that, yeah, I mean, there's that, that, a big a, fear. Beautiful. <laughs> there's a big fear of that, I think, because um, I certainly feel that. But, you know, you know that it's not the way it is. Of course, you're not going to stop being yourself if you just employ, employ some constraints. But for the person who's afraid to take that first step, what are there any exercises that this person can do to, say, get more comfortable with the idea of Im, uh, imposing self-limits, maybe time limits or something like that? Yeah, I'm so glad you actually brought that up because um, I think that 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 this key to success in today's world is being a productive artist. We can't lose the art part. We can't lose the random part. We can't lose our downtime. And it's probably important to know that for me, while it might appear that I'm very disciplined and structured and systematic, I actually use just enough structure to give myself, I value freedom. I value flexibility. Yeah. I value randomness. Mm. <laughs> I value those pieces. So the the whole idea was to have a, a, a very, very simple system. In fact, when I explain the system to people, it's, it's three simple parts. It's the rule of three. It's Monday vision, daily outcome, Friday reflection, and it's hot spots. You know, those are the three things that I jump to. But if somebody says, well, how do I just get started? You know, what can I actually do? And uh, a friend of mine put it best. He said, he told me that his favorite part of, of getting results the agile way was that to get started. He just had to write down three things he wanted for the day on a sticky pad. It, it was, it was, that was it. That was wow. simple. He's like, if I, if I wrote those three things down, I'm doing getting results. And it might sound simple, but what you've actually done, and this is what you've really done, is you basically brought to the surface, you made it an explicit decision about what you, what you want out of the day. You know, that, that's it. What you've just brought to the surface, what you want out of the day. And another key here was that, 
I've been through all the systems where they take a whole lot of setup, and I'm not a fan of heavy setup. I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I'm also not a fan where it's something that's very mired into tools and you have to use a particular tool. I'm very principle and pattern-based. You know, it's Bruce Lee, absorb what is useful. Yeah. Um, I also needed something that if I fell off the horse, I could get back on because I've had things where I've had these you know, task management systems where I had to, I spent, not only did I spend more time managing tasks and doing administration, but God forbid, should I actually fall off the wagon and try to get back on, it felt like more work than just, you know, forgetting everything. So the whole point was that, you know, any day that I wake up, if I, (laughs) let's say a week went by and I wasn't doing the system, well, I wake up today and I go, well, what are three? What are three? What are my three wins for the day? I like framing it as wins. I like you know. What are my three wins for the day? Starting there, and if this was a Monday, that, that oh, here's another key point. I like to anchor things to time because it gives you a fresh start. Mm. I'm a fan of fresh starts. I don't mm. want to carry a bunch of baggage. I want things to be right. able to slough off. Right. So it's actually baked in the system that things can slough off. But let's say I wake up and it's Monday. Well. I can step back and say, you know, what are my three wins for the week? I can have my three wins for the day, but what are my three wins for the week? This gives me the ability to, you know, kind of guide my day, but also know that I'm working towards a bigger picture. And that actually um, lets you zoom in and zoom out. Mm. Three wins for the day, the week, the month, the year. So you can zoom into whatever level makes sense. That was a key. Uh, The fact that on Fridays is the Friday reflection, the whole point there is to actually have a day where I can think about, truly think about my wins for the week, you know, three things going well and three things to improve. And I don't focus on what's wrong. Instead, what I do is I find the lesson. It's okay. If I get another shot next week, which I do, you know, next week's going to show up with or without me. But, you know, if I'm showing up, what are the three things that I can carry forward that serve me? So it ends up being this self-tuning system but it's incredibly lightweight, and it was important to be lightweight. I've ended up coaching uh, teams around Microsoft, teams outside of Microsoft. I carry a lot of mentees. So, for example, I have, I have eight mentees right now, and I needed a system that I could give them incredibly quickly. They shouldn't have to learn what do I do in Outlook or what do I do in Evernote or what do I do in Notepad or what do I do in Sticky Pads, but what can I give them in a very simple way that they can get up and running fast? But more importantly starts from where they are and lets them, it's kind of a stretch to fit. If they want more, there is more, but it's principle and pattern-based too. So for example, rather than caught up in the rules or the specific techniques, it's up-leveled so that you can use the principle or the pattern and adjust it for whatever suits your need. And I always want people to remember to go back to the basics of whenever it can seem overwhelming, it's nope, it's those three things. It's the rule of three, which is actually built into the system, which is meant to avoid overwhelm. It's one thing to have a bunch of things to do, but can you up-level those to three wins? You know, think in threes. So threes is a sort of a timeless principle that helps us simplify and deal with overload. The Monday vision, daily outcome, Friday reflection. Um, Rather than pin it into a particular calendar tool, I said, well, you know, everybody kind of works from a week. We all have weeks. How can we get a fresh start every week or how can we get a fresh start every day? Mm. Well, Monday, the, one, of the, one of the best moves I made on that, I've always had a distributed team. Uh, here, here's another trick mm. is every, just about every six months I've had to create a new distributed. So not only just having distributed teams, mm. but I've had to go through the forming, storming, norming, performing stages of building new teams. <laughs> What did you say? The forming, storming, what? 
performing, storming, norming, and performing. Those norming. are the cycles that a team moves through to get effective. So if you sometimes when you start a new team and you wonder, well, is it you? Is it the team? It's you're just following the natural cycle of people figuring themselves out and figuring out where they fit in the team and figuring out how the how the team can get gelling. But it's it's the gelling process of a team. Yeah. Um, the the key in that was that when I figured out that one thing to bring the team together around was we could rally around three wins. So the Monday vision was a real key part of that weekly pattern. It's I wanted people to feel good at the end of the week. You know, a lot of people will drive iterations from two-week cycles, and I get why they do that, um, and I've done that too. But what I found is that it's easier for people to feel good on a Friday. I want people. I want people to feel good on a Friday. I don't ship things on Fridays. I ship things on Wednesdays. This was. I realized that if people are feeling great, they bring their best at work. They bring their best in life, and I wanted people to feel good that we were driving to something meaningful. And people go, "Well, we got way more than three things to do." Of course you do. You probably got thousands of things to do. The yeah. trick is, well, is that is that must do? Is it should do? Is it could do? What are the three wins that you would actually want under your belt? And I challenge people, you know, if you're going to go demo your win, what would that look like? And as soon as people up-level that, it gets them out of the weeds, it gets them to what counts. Mm. They start to ask the question, you know, one of my favorite insights is that value is in the eye of the beholder. It's one thing for you to know what's important to you, but that may not be important to what's, what, that may not be the same thing that's important to somebody else or important mm. to business, et cetera. So it's always important to know, well, who's the value for? And if it's for you, just admit it. Great. You know, we need to make sure we take care of ourselves before we go taking care of everybody else. Mm. That's how you stay strong. But know who that value is for. And when you're framing those wins, sometimes those wins need to be for you. Sometimes those wins need to be for the team. Sometimes those wins need to be for the family. Sometimes those wins need to be for the business. But always be aware of who is that win for and think in terms of the win because that's how you stay out of getting lost below the line, doing a bunch of grunt work, wondering why nobody values what you do, et cetera. Um, and that's where it's connecting back to your internal values and understanding the values that other people are driving from. At Franklin's Net right now, you can get a DVD with over 11 hours of Billy Hollis on Silverlight 4 or 14 hours of Sahil Malik on SharePoint 2010, each for only six ninety-five. Order online at www.franklins.net. Are you looking to change jobs? Infusion Development has offices in New York City, Toronto, London, Dubai, and Poland. Infusion has hired a whole handful of Happy.net Rocks listeners. Contact me for an introduction at carl at franklins.net. So without without overwhelming the listener, because I think we've already overwhelmed the listener, <laughs> but any further, what... What we even without buying the book, what is one thing they can do today? Just one, one thing they can do today to help them become um, a, a little more productive or a little more focused. Just one thing, right now. Good, right. What I would start with is ask the question: What are my three wins for today? That's it. That's it. Yep, that's it. What do what, what do in other words? What do, what three things do I want to accomplish today? Is that what you mean? Yes. Yes. And write them down on a post-it note and stick them to your forehead. You know, I'm a big fan of lists. <laughs> I really, am. I'm a huge fan of making lists. Um, I, everything, everything that I've set down as a goal on paper, I've been able to achieve. And I don't know what what it is about the power of making a list or writing it down. It burns something into your brain. It does something. It makes it real. I'm not sure what it does, but a list is a powerful thing. 
I agree. I'm a fan of that. JD, jumping back to some of your discussion around the remote teams, how often do you find you have to bring a team together in a room? Oh, uh, yeah, beautiful question. Um, what I've learned is that if I can get the team together up front before the project starts for, you know, at least a if not a full week, a fraction of a week, people start to learn who's who, how they work, different styles, um, and really get a vision for where things are going. It's really about getting the mental model in place. So there's that upfront hit. Once you've done that, the rest, what I've found is that on a, you know, on a regular basis, I tried to make sure that I'm not a fan of, of a lot of administration. I wanted as minimum administration as possible. So what I found was that in iteration... For, uh, on Mondays for the week, so let's say a half hour, then I found that 10-minute daily stand-ups, just 10 minutes, you know, what you got done, what you're getting done next, where you need help, and then that's, so what are we talking so far? So half an hour on Mondays, 10 minutes Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, nothing on Fridays. What I found is that if the team hits a sticking spot, where things just don't seem to be clicking or value doesn't seem to be flowing, is that what I start to add in is I call it uh, show-and-tells. So on Thursdays, I'll add a half-hour show-and-tell, and it might start out just being on the team or including customers, but it's about letting people on the team either strut their stuff but start to get the internal feedback and start to... There's something very different about working on something and, and thinking it's awesome and then suddenly now you're trying to present it and show it, it forces you to tell the story. Right. But I, but I found with this little tiny pattern, you can create a very high-performing team. I know the structure and sounds actually very simple, and it is, but it's also very effective. Well, and I think there's two layers there, too. There's the, the commitment to have something to show on Thursday. Yeah. And uh, yeah. articulating the story to yourself before you're trying to articulate it to someone else. Oh, yeah. It, it forces people to internalize what good looks like. I don't want to be the bad guy to say, you know, this sucks or this needs to be better, blah, blah, blah. What I'd rather is have a, a, a team that's focused on continuous learning where they're internalizing and feeling good about what they do. And the show and tell is a great way to bring that out. Now, there's a point of contention here, too, because this one sense you're saying – focus on your strengths, but at the same time, you know, you've got to give room for people to grow, which means exercising on their weaknesses. Yes. In fact, you kind of tapped into another key part of the practice, which is um, I am a fan of, of pairing people up, and I like people to find the person that complements their strengths. And a lot of times it's surprising. I actually learned it was a surprising uh, from playing foosball. <laughs> a lot of times I'd be surprised who paired up actually became the best team. Mm -hmm. And what I found on the team was you actually got to experiment and explore it. If, let's say, you're really good at getting into the details, but you're not very good about up-leveling the story, pair with somebody who is. You know, yeah. it's, it's a great compliment. You might be very customer-focused, but maybe not so great on the tech. Pair with somebody who is. And then what happens is there's this amazing amplifying effect where people are bringing out the best in each other. It's uh, a, a good way of thinking about this is you're basically building a team of capabilities instead of a team of one. As a team of one, you can only work in your capabilities so much, but when you have a team of capabilities, just by pairing up with some other, you know, one other person at least, you've just brought out a new set of abilities that complement each other. There's a synergy there. Do you find that people self-select that way? Because I find that it's the other way. They tend to pick people that are like rather than different. 
<laughs> yeah, beautiful insight. Yes, that that's the pattern that I've noticed too. And uh, I have had to recommend to people as like, you know, you're really good at this, but they're really good at that, and you might just try it. And I I always frame it to people, you know, experiment, try it out, um, take it for a test drive. And I say, you know, worst case, it was a lesson and you learn stuff, but it's it's really about cross-pollinating and sharing the tribal knowledge, but it's also about bringing your own strengths, but then helping other people bring out the strength in themselves. Well, one of the best performing teams I've ever seen, a development pairing, they almost didn't like each other. They bickered like a, <laughs> a married couple, but the yeah. code was spectacular. Yeah, I've, I've seen that too, and it's um, that's when... That's when it's important for people to, to be really set on the vision. They have to believe in where they're going because if getting on that boat and it feels like it's going to be a horrible ride, but people believe in where they're going, they start to get over some of those initial hurdles mm-hmm. that make the ride a great ride. You know, it's sometimes sacrifices the price of success, but when people truly believe in where they're going, then it's a lot easier to deal with the the pain along the way. And then what happens is when they look back, this is this is kind of of, of a surprise, but this was one of the best insights around happiness. I think in our times is that there's two questions around happiness. One is how happy are you now? You know, if people just go by that, um, you know, I don't feel that great right now. I'm not that happy. Well, the second question is how happy are you with your life? That's a fulfillment question. And what you'll find is that when you flash back, the Happiness times, a lot of times, are also very bittersweet. And I know that I've had my greatest achievements in some of the most painful scenarios, but it's because it was growth. You know, that's what growth feels like. Mm-hmm. Uh, JD, do you have any? Uh, I mean, I know we're just about out of time here. Is there anything that uh, you want to bring people to their attention on the web? I mean, you have some resources here. We could call them out. Yeah, I guess. Um, I tried to keep it very simple. So there's gettingresults.com. At gettingresults.com, it's, this may surprise me. This may not be obvious. I tried to make it obvious, but on gettingresults.com, the whole book is there in free in HTML. The, mm-hmm. you have to buy the printed version. You know, if you want the printed version, you buy that. But I wanted everybody in the world to be able to read the book and get the system. And what I'm also doing on that site is I'm building out a knowledge base. Uh, I'm tackling motivation and um, productivity and focus. And what I'm putting in there is I'm actually doing it in a sort of patterns and practices way, is I'm putting checklists, I'm putting guidelines, I'm putting how-tos. But I want people to have no excuse to be able to bring out the best of what they've got, to be able to make the most of what they've got. So that's that. On sourcesofinsight.com, that's really about patterns and practices for effectiveness. It's about standing on the shoulders of giants. What I did there is um, I have my work blog, which is blogs.msdn.com slash jmeyer, J-M-E-I-E-R. And I was putting a lot of effectiveness information on that blog, but I found people wanted more. So what I did was I carved that out. And so now Sources of Insight is a place dedicated to drawing from books, people, quotes, the best insights and lessons that I've learned, and helping people become more effective. In fact, the the working tagline that I have up there is skills to pay the bills and lead a better life. It's very skills-focused. All right. Hey, this is good advice for anybody, not just developers. So uh, pass the word around. J.D. Meyer, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. Great talking to you guys. 
All right, and we'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got a transmitter van.